as far as cutting out the lines and you kept going right here. Um, I know that typically not everybody brings the Bible on Good Friday or on uh, candlelight service. So if you don't have a Bible with you, shame. Nothing but shame. But if you don't have one, don't worry about it. Um, if you do have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Who here knows what a homily is? I do. With everybody? It's a short sermon. Mr. McRae asked me, uh, he made reference to my homily, and I don't know what that is. So. <laughs> Apparently it's a short sermon, and that's why I don't know what that is. So. <laughs> We're going to be in, in Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 18. If you have your Bible. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, I'm sorry, yeah, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I'm going to throw you just a little bit of a curveball, if you have your Bible, I'm going to read it for you, so if you don't, it's okay, but Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. I have, uh, I've really enjoyed, I enjoy it every year, but when we do the Advent and do the candles, because the biggest issue I wish is, or I, I find, I wish we had like 90 red candles, because the more you see some of the, the messianic, Christological aspects of the Old Testament scriptures, the more... It just grips your heart, and you just want to go back and find Christ in the Old Testament more and more and more. Um, so I'm just going to pretend there's another candle there this evening and do it one more time. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we've been just doing some touchstones in the Old Testament scriptures leading up to Christ's first advent. So Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent. Um, the seed of Abraham would bless every nation. The seed of David, and then the seed of Mary last Sunday. And we're going to look at Joseph in just a little bit. But first, I want to take you back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire 
was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Back with Moses and a good portion of the Pentateuch, or the old portion of the Old Testament, we see this tent of meeting, or this tabernacle. And this is where the Lord would reside, if you will. And so if people want to go to the Lord, they would go. Moses would go and converse with the Lord and speak here at this tabernacle, at this tent. Uh, tabernacle sounds like something really big and fancy, if you've ever been to the Mormon tabernacle or something like that, just a huge building. This is just a tent. It was able to be portable. Put it up, and the angel or the Lord was there. Pull, take it down, and they could travel and set it up again. But this was a particular location where they would go to see and meet with the Lord. <clears throat> and the people's concept in that time was that's where God's at. Now it's unfortunate that sometimes people have that concept in our world, where this building has something special or mystical about it. Newsflash: it has nothing. There's nothing special about this building in the sense of any sort of mysticism that the Lord's present here. Now, it is special because it's our bank building, right, Mark? Uh, and for years, God has so kindly let us have it. But the Lord doesn't reside only in these walls. The tabernacle, you can trace this out for yourself, but you have the courtyard, the gated entrance, the two rooms, the holy place and the holy of holies, the lampstand, the table, the consecrated bread, the altar of incense, and the Ark of the Covenant. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. This tent was able to be moved throughout the wilderness, the pillar of cloud by day, and by fire by night. If you're not that familiar with your Old Testament scriptures, that may strike you as a little strange, but for those of us who have been in the church for a while, we know this is how the Lord was leading his people at this time. Now, later on, in the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapters 5 to 8, we see that the Lord then has them build a temple. A temple is built for the Lord with a much more extravagant layout. But the same concept. This is where we go to meet with the Lord. Now, this is what I want you to pay careful attention to, okay? So listen to this homily, whatever that is. This was the location where one could worship God. This was the location where one would make atonement for their sin. This was the location where one would be ceremonially cleansed. This was the location where man could have access to God. This was the location where Moses would hear from God. All these practices in this particular location throughout so many year after year after year after year. This is where God is in the minds of these people here in the Old Testament Scriptures. And then we come to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Every last thing that I just read for you is absolutely, fully satisfied and fulfilled in a person. This is what's so amazing. So now look at Matthew chapter 1, or I'll read it for you. In Matthew chapter 1, Joseph is told, remember Joseph is really struggling, right? Joseph has found out that Mary's pregnant. They're betrothed, but they're not married yet. What a disgrace, how discouraging, all of the heartbreak that could be going on in this guy. 
And, and instead of being a, a really angry type who's going to get vengeful, he decides, I still love this woman, and so what I'll do is I'll divorce her in quiet, and I won't put shame on her, and I won't see her harmed for what she's done. But I can't be with her, so I'll put her away. God in his mercy comes to Joseph via an angel, and that angel informs him in the plan that this is actually the most spectacular, miraculous thing ever, that the sovereign of the universe has, has hand-selected this woman over all these generations to grant her to be the one who's going to carry this baby, the Messiah. And his name will be Jesus. For he will be the one that takes the penalty for sin. Emmanuel, God with us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we're told, and again, you don't have to turn it if you want, because I'll be back in, in Matthew. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, since you've been justified by faith, you are now at peace with God through your Lord Jesus Christ, and that you now have access into this grace by this faith in Christ. And so... What's, what's taking place here in Matthew is that as, as what's being announced to Joseph is Joseph, Almighty God is going to be in your presence. God with us. That tabernacle, that, that tent that was picked up and moved and picked up and moved and the people of Israel following that tent, that beautiful temple with all that was built there, all of that is going to find its complete satisfaction in a person. So that way, where do we go to find, where, where do we go to make atonement? Jesus Christ. Where do we go to worship God? We worship God through Jesus Christ. Where do we go to be ceremonially cleansed? Where's our cleansing from? Through the Lord Jesus Christ, John 13. Where do we find access to God? Through Christ, Romans 5, 1 to 2. And where do we go from here to hear from the Lord? Well, Hebrews chapter 1 says, At various times and in various ways, the Lord spoke through the prophets, but now he speaks through his Son, Jesus Christ. See, beloved, what's so magnificent about the Old Testament Scriptures is that all those shadows find their satisfaction and their fulfillment in the Son of God who, designed, who decided to come to this planet. God is no longer tied down to a tent or any location. Access to God is not where you go, it's who you go to. It is in Him and in Him alone. The physical tabernacle was a shadow pointing towards to Christ. Remember this too, beloved. It wasn't just a mere little happenstance that that curtain between the holy place and the holy holies was torn. That was ceremonially was showing with great clarity. It's done. Why? Those who are in Christ have complete access to God. Jesus Christ has enabled full access to Almighty God. The amazing reality about all of this, and this is what, what Brother Mitch was talking about, and it's the heart of what I want to kind of draw your attention to, 
is that what's so fascinating about Christianity, unlike any other man-made false religion, God came to you. He came to us. He humbled himself and came to us. He didn't say, you come to me. He came to us. And as I, as I think about this, this infant, this baby, there in that, in that manger, in a watering trough, in utter humiliation, the sovereign of the universe, the parter of the Red Seas, the one that we're told has made everything, and by him nothing could have been made, that very one is now in this baby, in that trough, to live 33 years, and then lay his life down. And it, it, it's just, it's stupid to be true. And yet it's gloriously true. God came after you. And in the most just amazing way, to the point that the scripture says that it just makes the wise look like fools because of the manner in which he decided to come. What God does that? What kind of sovereign of the universe chooses to come in now? That he's not only the just, meaning the one who's in charge, the one who will judge, so the justifier. See, guys, this is what's so fantastic about this message. The, the, I mean, the, the message of the gospel. Is that you have Almighty God declare you and me guilty. And then in our guilt, he comes form of a servant, he lays his life down, he's crucified upon a tree, and he takes the penalty, not only the physical beating, but the wrath of his father upon him, in order to then declare you and Dan Mason righteous in that man, that magnificent God-man. She's saying That That glorious news, beloved, I just cannot get over it. As far as I know, I've, I've been a believer roughly 30 years. And every, every Christmas season, we come around, and I just cannot, I cannot believe that God the Father selected to come in such a way to rescue you. To rescue you. God's not the one who passage that tells us that he came and dwelt among us. Another translation you could say was he came and he pitched his tent with us. Or go another step further, he tabernacled with us. The sovereign of the universe came and he tabernacled in the form of a man on this planet to lay his life down and rescue us. I think one of the most astounding truths of the Christian faith, in, in, a, in a, it's kind of a multifaceted way, is that God pursues you. He not only pursued you, beloved, in the coming, but even if you were born again, in your regeneration, he came to you and made you alive. The sovereign of the universe has accomplished this task perfectly. And so, my 
the end of this message, the thing I just want to press into your heart and into your mind this evening, it's always deeply moving to me when somebody does something for me without me knowing. And I find out later, right? Something that's been done, you find out a few weeks later or whatnot. And just the impact of how much that moves you. But when I think of everything that the Son of God accomplished in my stead, it just leaves me absolutely astounded. So as I've heard numerous people say over the years, how do you respond to a God like that? It must result in worship. He is so fully worthy of our worship. So guys, as I light these candles tonight, uh, it's just a, a little image to put in front of us to remind us that God was completely on point throughout all of redemptive history. After the fall with Adam and Eve, God, God was in charge. As he calls out Abraham, God's completely sovereignly in charge. As the Lord promises to David that he will put an heir on the throne, God's in charge. He comes to Mary, God's in charge. He goes to Joseph, God's in charge. But that, that truth is just so pressing on my mind and heart. And Almighty God has a sovereign plan that he's accomplishing for me. I never even thought to ask him to do it. I'm a sinner, lost in sin, and God in his graciousness pursued me. And here you are. And so, gratitude is the of the Christian life. So let me, let me pray, and I'm going to lay up these candles. Our Father, Lord, where would we be? Where would we be if we didn't have you? God, as I, as I stop and just consider the reality of what you've done, that, Lord, we don't go to a tent or a particular building, but you and your grace, you tabernacle with us. Father, you came in the form of a servant, being born, raised, your public ministry, your mock trials, your beating, your crucifixion, death, your burial, your resurrection, your ascension. And Father, you sitting at the right hand of your Father as we await the return of our magnificent King. Father God, as we light these candles tonight, thank you. Thank you that you are truly the light of the world. You have brought the shining, beautiful, bright light of salvation into this world, Lord God. And Father, as you have called us and illuminated us, given us the knowledge of the truth of the gospel, Lord, let our good works shine. Let us be faithful to herald this message. So as we look around at these candles, Father, let that just be a little reminder that you are building your church. Father, you have a sovereign game plan to redeem a people for your great name's sake. I pray, Lord God, that you would bless PCBC. You'd give them a great sense of your presence. 
And Lord, for all of us, I pray that we have a fresh appreciation for the truth of the gospel. It never, ever gets dusty. That well just does not go dry. It is, as my brother has said, it leaves us amazed and in awe what you've done. So, Father, we praise you and ask for your blessing on the rest of this morning. In Jesus' name.